I invite you to turn me in your Bibles to opening texts in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And I'm continuing on what I shared the last time of my experiences in the ministry. And my title of this presentation this morning is God's Lessons of Suffering for Me, Part 2. God's Lessons of Suffering for Me, Part 2. We are told that we have nothing to fear for the future except we should forget the way the Lord has led us and is teaching in our past history. In other words, we have nothing to, you know, we shouldn't fear the future. The only reason we should fear the future is if we forget how God led us in our religious, actually in our experience with Him, right? Amen? But if we remember how He led us in the past, then we will not and we will not be afraid of what's going to be ahead of us, right? So we should remember how God has led us and appreciate what He has taught us that we are then um, encouraged and also that we may be an encouragement to others by what we share. So this morning, as I share with you how God has been teaching me, I pray the lessons that I learned may be a ministry to you and the ministry God has called you to. So as I share with you my experiences, may we both be strengthened as we face the future with nothing to fear. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for, again, the word. We ask that it may come alive, speak to us, that it, as we share the word, that the word may humble us and that the glory of man may lay in the dust. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. What does God allow to those who have been blessed? The Bible says, this is Paul speaking, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations or the blessings, just like Lucifer was exalted, he exalted himself. Paul said, unless I should be exalted, if I don't want to be exalted at all, above measure, above all the, because all the blessings God has given me and all the revelations. Notice what Paul had. Paul said, there was given to me a what? Thorn. Now, do thorns where? In the what? Flesh. If you got poked by a big thorn inside of you, does that feel good? It's painful. It hurts. You don't like it. So Paul said, so I won't be prideful and arrogant. There's this pain that, that pokes me, that hurts me may not be physical, but maybe actually your new job, or it may be a situation you're in, it may be people that's coming to your life that maybe don't like you, they mistreat you, whatever it is. That's the thorn in the flesh Paul was talking about. And he said, unless I should be prideful or arrogant, God allows the thorns to come into my life, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to attack me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You see, I see this text applying to me in my life because there was a time in my life where I thought I had everything. I had a lot of friends. I was young. I dressed with the latest style, fashion. At that time, I felt I was very popular. But worst of all, I had a lot of arrogance and pride. I was, I was one of those people who thought they were cool and he and I and acted like he knew it. That's the type of person I was. 
So I am arrogant and prideful, didn't care about anyone else. But when I was 22 years old, that was when I hit my rock bottom. That's when I, my pride goes before a fall and I hit my, my bottom. That's when I began to search for the Lord. I began to look for the Lord. And it was at this time the Lord began the process of humbling my arrogant and prideful heart from the perversions of the blessings that God had given to me. And it's from this point forward that God allowed painful thorns to come into my life at one after another to break me and to humble me. And he's not done with me yet, beloved. For he still allows thorns to come my path and in my life and in my way to teach me to be humble and to depend completely and wholly upon him. Something we all need to do, right? Amen. Now look at verse 8. What did Paul do when he was afflicted by these thorns? For this thing, Paul says, I was afflicted by thorns. I besought, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might take it away from me. So none of us like this pain, right? As we shared in Sabbath. So none of one likes to go through these hard times and hardships and trials and people mistreating you, even if you're right. People don't like that. So we plead to God, Lord, take away the situation. Take away my, my, my situation in my workplace, my co-workers, my boss. Take away my, the job I have. Take away um, the poverty level that we have that we're struggling. Take away how my family is mistreating me. All the, my neighbors, they're playing the music too loud. Take all these things away so I can be comfortable and at peace, right? We don't like the, the pain that's coming our way. So like Paul, we may pray these prayers. Lord, take this away from me. And know what God said in verse 9. God says, and he said unto me, God said, My grace is sufficient for you. For in my strength is made perfect. For my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. In other words, God says, I'm not going to take away. You pleaded three times for the neighbor to shut that down, but it didn't work. I'm going to leave it for you for what? To teach you a lesson. And then God says, Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. God told Paul that his strength was enough for him, and his strength was only able to make perfect in his life when Paul was made weak. In other words, when we're strong, capable, powerful, arrogant, prideful, conceited, self-confident, when we can do all these things, when we're strong, then really we're weak. But the Bible says that when we actually are humble, and meek, and patient, and forgiving. When we look weak, that's when really, beloved, we are strong. Amen? That's when we're powerful. Because that's when not, no longer do they see Keala, they see God, because Keala is weak and broken, but that's when they see Keala, that's when they see God when Keala is weak and broken, beloved. Amen? And when you are broken and weak and humble, that's when God comes and he reveals himself through you to other people. But when you're powerful, strong, arrogant, prideful, conceited, there is no power in your life as a Christian. So it's something that God had to teach Paul. And then look at verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, after God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul said, because of this, Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, because of this, I'm going to glory in my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen? 
He gloried in his weakness. Can you imagine somebody glory? Everybody likes the glory in, the, in their strength and the power, right? That's not how the world, they like to brag about what they've accomplished and what they've done and what they do and everything and all the money they got and the house they have and the, and the car they drive. And that's just how the world thinks. But here's, here's a godly man that went contrary to the world and he said, hey, look, I'm not bragging about what I got. I'm going to brag about what I don't got. You know, to the world, that's total craziness, right? But according to Paul, he realized that his power was bragging, not bragging in what you got to compete against everyone else. His power was saying that, yes, I am weak, but when I'm weak, that's when I'm powerful. Then he said, verse 10, therefore, because of this, I take pleasure in weakness. I take pleasure, I'm happy when things are not going good. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong, right? I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? And beloved, when you are weak, that is when you are strong. Very powerful. And when God can really use you. There have been many thorns that the Lord has used to make me weak. In fact, God has used a continuous flow of experiences in my life to keep me weak so that the power of God would rest upon me. I've realized that there is nothing I can do without Christ. In fact, I know that I can't even take a single breath without the power of God. And I believe that God wants to do in this last generation. He wants a people to realize that there's nothing we can do and that the glory of man will lay in the dust where it belongs, beloved. Amen? And that's what God wants for his people and for me to realize. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. What has God given to us? Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, verse 18, chapter 5, And all things are of God, listen to this, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. What has God done to us? He has what? Reconciled. In other words, we hate God. We naturally don't even think about him. We don't even want to follow him, obey him, or serve him. And guess what? He chases us. He woos us. He draws us. And we're not even thinking about him, but he taps us on the shoulder. He wakes us up. He allows events to happen, to turn to him. And then he reconciles. He makes things right. He has a relationship established with us so we can love him and he can truly love us and experience a, a good relationship. God reconciles a bad relationship that wasn't there with him and us. And I praise God for that this morning. Amen? And he does that for you and me and he reconciles us. But he doesn't just do that. When we experience the reconciliation power of God, what happens next? The Bible says in verse 18, All things of God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us, every single one of us here, the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? In other words, every single one of us here is called to the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God has called every single one of us here to work out our differences between one another so that we will truly get along and then truly love one another. Amen? And that's what God has called us to. He has called us to come to one another, work out differences, to ask for forgiveness, so that God can truly reconcile 
each other as he has reconciled with us. And here's the thing. You cannot reconcile with other people because notice the order. God says first, I reconcile with you first, and after I reconcile you first, then I want you to go reconcile with other people. Why? Because when you reconcile with God, God reveals your love, his love to you first. It breaks your heart, it softens you. Then you respond and you have a good relationship. Only when you're broken and humble and filled with his love, then can you experience that desire to want to reconcile with others. And then and only then will you be, become successful. So before you can reconcile with others, you must be reconciled with your God first. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? So God calls you to reconciliation and me to reconciliation. From the beginning of my Christian walk, God has been trying to teach me this lesson. You see, before I was a Christian, I didn't even care about anybody or anyone else. And I thought, I used to think like this, if people didn't like me, too bad. <laughs> At that time, I felt, because I had, God had blessed me so much, even before I even thought about God, at that time, I thought, thought I, had ev- I thought I had everything. I thought I had the money, the, the clothes, the dress, the style, the popularity. I thought I was too cool to care. You ever know people like that? Have you ever been there by yourself? But when I became a Christian, things changed. And the first place that God taught me was the reconciliation between my dad and myself. You see, before, when I was younger, and I was growing up in a church, and you know there's something about relationships, right? Between father and, and children and your parents. You know, those people who live healthy lives the rest of the life, they've had good relationships with both parents. That's just proven everywhere. If you have good relationship with your parents, you're going to have a, a much more healthier, well-balanced physical, mental, and spiritual development through the rest of your life. That's just a reality. So here I was, God worked in my life, and the thing about my relationship with my dad is that when I was growing up, I, I had come to the point where I had bitterness in my heart toward my dad. Because we had grown in, my dad was, I shared this before, but my dad was an alcoholic. And we grew up in a home, we were in raised Adventist. We were attending, actually we were going to Catholic school. And we grew up in a plantation homes. And we became, we started going when we were younger. But my dad was the last to come. My mommy came converted, got baptized, and we came later. We were going to the motions, we got baptized. But my dad, by the time he was, um, he got baptized when I was actually a senior in high school when he finally got baptized. And God was already changing his heart before that. But when I, when I saw the changes in him, it was, it was good changes. But it wasn't enough because I still had that bitterness for how he had treated us and treated me and treated my mom all those years of being an alcoholic in the home. So here I see my dad and these feelings against him and I didn't like him. In fact, at that point, I remember I hated my dad. I remember a time where I just prayed and said, I just, Lord, I just want a normal home. You ever prayed that before? Prayed I want a normal home. He began to change. But by the time he got baptized, I'm a senior, and I went away in college to the mainland. So this bitterness that I experienced toward him had built up, and it was still there when I left. So here I am, 18 years old, I'm gone. And then finally, when I became a Christian at 22 years old, 
I, I, we started to get along a little bit better, but it wasn't until I actually went away to Weimar College, and I came back from there. I had a true conversion experience. I came back from Weimar College. I came here, and, and I remember that God spoke to me, and he said to me that, you know, the same experience that you experienced with me, I want you to experience with your father. The same experience you experienced with your heavenly father, I want you to experience with your earthly father. Reconciliation. And I remember that going to my father's house, and I remember in my mind forgiving my dad. And because of this, there was healing in my life. And then I began to come around more in my dad's house um, in Hilo and talk to him every time and, and talk stir. And it came to the point that whenever I came to visit, I would, I would visit him and we used to spend actually um, hours. You know, we grew up in a home, I don't know about you, but this is so funny to you probably, but we grew up in a home that's, we were there always with each other, but we're so used to talking about things that really didn't make sense. Like, I mean, this craziness. Like, the only thing we had in common was this things of the world, like, you know, nightclubbing or drinking or um, the latest movies or, you know, sports. It, no substance at all. So, and actually, we're, we get together for, for, like, Thanksgiving. We're just sitting down, we watch the football game, you know, we just watch. But I realized when you take all that away, guess what happens? We're sitting in the room after that and not doing all those things anymore, and I, we have absolutely nothing in common. Does that sound crazy? Try that. We have nothing in common because all of the things we, have, we could even talk about was actually of the world. And when I stopped doing all the things, there was nothing to talk about. And I realized that we never really had a good relationship growing up within our own family and with my own dad. And so can you imagine now sitting down, no TV going on as background music, right? <laughs> no radio going on, but just sitting down dead quiet and actually having a good conversation with your dad or your mom for hours. To me, that's powerful. It's what I always wanted. And there I had it. All the attention I wanted. The deep conversation. Sharing what's in my heart. He's sharing what's in his heart. And we're connecting here. For hours we spent just talking about life and his life and, and sharing his principles with me, passing down from one generation to the next generation. It was a beautiful thing. And I'll never forget. I remember the blessings of it, of the time we shared. You know, there's one thing about our family that put a pressure upon all of us children. We grew up in a children of eight children, and of all these eight children, um, we, education was pushed so strongly upon us. I mean, beyond you would ever imagine. I mean, we're second grade, you won't believe it, but second grade, and we're actually, you know, my dad's a pair, so we finished, finished the algebra book. <laughs> That's what he's pushing us with. And we finished the algebra book, second grade, algebra one, algebra two, and we get paid for it. I mean, that's just how he pushed us. Our, um, all of us graduated from college and some went beyond. My oldest brother was the one who was our role model, and he had graduated as a, a physician, a doctor. And then he now, he accelerated a lot of, a lot of errors, and now he's, um, he's now teaching, on staff teaching at Harvard Medical School. That's where he's at right now, teaching at Harvard Medical School. So this is my brother. This is our guy we're, we're like compared against all the time, you know, prestigious. And then here I am. All I am is just a simple minister, you know. I'm just a pastor. It's not prestigious at all, not in uh, academia at all. So here I'm with my dad. And um, I remember you always used to say this. When we talk about careers, he used to say this to me. 
He said, whenever it came up, the topic, he said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his soul? And by him saying that, what he was really saying is that he was, no matter, even though I did not get any prestigious um, calling or job, he knew in his heart that what he was saying, that he was affirming my calling to the ministry, and he was happy, I knew, knowing that his son was serving the Lord. And to me, to get that affirmation from your dad, I mean, there's nothing like to get affirmed by your own father, especially your mother, yes, but your father, there's something there. That's what the Bible says in the last days, it's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, right? There's an affirmation you long in your heart for your parents, and especially your father. And I long for that. Here's my father. Now, of all the prestige, you can't compete against Harvard Medical School in teaching there. I mean, there's no, comp there's no comparison. There's no way you can do it. You can always seek at making your father happy, make your parents happy, but you're never going to reach it, right? But when you actually choose God's way, in the end, God will work it out where he's going to inspire from your parents to give you the affirmation that you're looking when you weren't even looking for it. Praise God, amen? And that's how God works. God has taught me and my dad the beauty of reconciliation. The beauty. Until this day, I am so glad that God reconciled my father and myself. It's beautiful. I cherish every moment. And as my dad rests in peace, waiting for the trumpet to sound, to be raised up with my Jesus, I look forward to being reunited with him in eternal reconciliation. Amen? God had taught me many lessons of being reconciled. And he wanted me to start in my home in my, before I was married with my father and my own family to reconcile and talk about spiritual things. You know, as a home, we weren't... I mean, you look at the pictures of when we were younger, you wouldn't even believe that's our family, how it is today. I mean, it was totally different. It was just completely different. Just completely different family. And to see how God had transformed our family was a miracle. And then God said to me, what I want to do with you is that I want to transfer that reconciliation that you experienced with me, not only with your father, your, own, your dad on this earth, but I want you to reconcile with other people. But first of all, I want you to reconcile with, with other people and bring it together with other people also. And that's when God led me and taught me the lessons of reconciling with people within a church. About seven years ago, I was, I was transferred, the redistricted, and I was transferred to another church, as some of you may know. And at this other church, when I first got there, I had realized that within this church, there were three major groups fighting for power within this church. That's where it was. And I remember that no one wanted to be at that church at all. And in fact, when I went there, they, only, they had potluck twice a month. And at first Sabbath I went there, they didn't have potluck. And within 10 minutes, I'm, I'm telling the truth here, after I finished speaking, I walked out, greeted everyone, within 10 minutes, there was not a car in that parking lot. Everyone was gone. <laughs> and I remember looking to my wife and I said to her, where did everybody go? I mean, like, <laughs> they did not want to be there at that church. They just did not want to be there. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's why, yeah, they didn't want to be there either. So nobody wanted to be there. 
But that church was packed. This was the crazy thing. That church was full. It was a big, pretty big church, but it was all full. That's the, that's the crazy thing. It was packed. It was very packed. But no one wanted to be there after. And so they're fighting for this, this power. And God had taught me that, God was teaching me that what I want to teach you is that I want you to use you to reconcile between people and other people who can't get along. And I praise God at the end of those six, day, six years recently when we left, there was finally a unity and a harmony. There was no more power struggle. There was a unity among the people. And there were potlucks every week and people were lingering after potlucks. And God had used the lesson that he had taught me to teach to people to reconcile between one and another. God had continued to teach me the lessons of the ministry of reconciliation. Another area of God had worked in me was the reconciliation between me and other people. There was once a Bible worker that worked with me for a while. And this lady had children. And these children they had, they did some things over and over in one of our programs. And so finally I had to confront them. And because of the situation that happened, I had to let them go. I had to, I had to kick them out of the program. So I did that. And then she got upset because they were saying there are other kids that were doing the same thing. And this is actually something I learned. I just realized that these other kids, though they lied to me, and these were church members. They, they, actually, this Bible worker just came into the church recently with her family. But these other kids who were raised in Adventist home the whole life, they actually they lied to me. <laughs> I just found out this recently. They had lied to me. And actually, when I think about it, it was a wrong decision. They all should have been kicked out, but I didn't know it back then. And this is one thing I realized. It's, it's a sad thing to see that the children out there in the world are a lot of times more honest than the children within our own very church. Is that true? It's sad that how we treat our children that the fear of gospel and the fear of training that happens in the home, it creates such a, a, a deceptiveness among our people that they don't want to be caught. And so I realized that, you know, at that time she was right. They all should have been kicked out. Her children were honest. But anyway, we had, there was something that happened between us. Because of that, she pulled away. She got angry at me. She was upset at me. She turned against me. And not only that, but she made life very, very, very hard for me. Very hard. So here's this Bible worker. So we're working, trying to work it out. And then finally, the term ended. She's not Bible working here in this church. And then she, um, she moved away to another church on this island where she was living right next to the church there. And she's there, and then she finally I found out that she's moving to back to the mainland. So I found out she's moving, and she's leaving that next weekend on Monday. And then the Holy Spirit inspired me, give her a call. Call her up. And just give her some well wishes and a blessing upon her. So I remember I, I caught the phone, and I dialed her number, and I called her up. And I said, Hello? Um, and asked for her name, and she got on the phone. And then when she answered the phone, and she said, Pastor Keala, and then she started crying. And then she was so excited, she began to cry. And then she told me that, you know what she told me? She said, she'd been praying for God recently to reconcile us. us." And then she said, this was her prayer. She said, her prayer was this, that if I was really a man of God, I will call that weekend before she left. 
She then told me that she truly believed that I was a man of God. And all to that I can say is, praise be to God, for when I look at myself, I can see very little of Jesus Christ. God reconciled that relationship before she left. And I praise God that I listened to that voice that God had given me to listen to. God had taught me that, yes, I need to reconcile your relationship with me, but then I need to go into your home and reconcile relationship with your father. You know, I praise God today I have eight siblings. You know how siblings are always fighting with each other? And in my family, they actually don't get along with, they still don't get along. But I have a good relationship, a talking relationship with all of my siblings today. And I praise God that he had first worked reconciliation in my heart with him. He had reconciled me with my family. He had reconciled with me with fellow workers in the past. He had used me to reconcile churches, to, to reconcile together. Then he used me to reconcile working with a school. As you know, some of you this past year, we had fought the school on subsidy issue. Do you remember that issue? And there were emails flying around, and people were upset, and we we're going to go to the school consistency meeting to fight for the, the subsidy level that we felt we should be um, giving to them. And then it was going to be a big battle, and I was ready for it. And then the Lord humbled my heart and said to me, you know, Keala, you need to humble yourself. I remember the Lord speaking to me, and then I got on the phone, and I called the principal of the school. And I said, hey, look, can we meet before this meeting? It was just one week before that meeting. He said, sure. So I remember going to him, and God blessed that meeting. You know, I spent five hours having a conversation with that principal. And in that meeting, we, you know, we came in a humble attitude. He was humble. We humbled ourselves. We prayed, and God reconciled with us the situation. So when we went to this big meeting, we were already reconciled as leadership. Then we went in there. We both went with humble spirits, and then we went with humble spirit. And God worked it out. We were able to get what we decided we wanted to get. And as you know, the conference honored that. And when we went to another church, they still honored that. And you know what? We are the only church in this whole conference that is paying not the recommended subsidy level. And you know what? I can tell you this. Praise be to God that we were able to accomplish, God was able to accomplish for us through humility what we could not have done through force of argument. Amen? That's what God uses. He uses humility as a powerful being. You know, people look at humility as being weak, right, in this world. You got to be on top of things. You got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to look out for yourself. Otherwise, people are going to run all over you, right? But God used humility to accomplish what no other church has accomplished, no matter how forceful strong their arguments have been in the past. And God used humility where, you know, that's how Jesus worked. Isn't that, that's how he worked on the cross of Calvary. He had used humility, and that's how he became victorious. In the last three months, the Lord has impressed upon me also the need to reconcile with those who have had tension with me as a pastor. And as you know, about four years, months ago, I was redistricted to another church. So I have another church in this district. Now, here's the thing. I was at this church 11 years ago. And then I was pulled away, and now I feel like, why, God, do you want me to put, back, put me back in the same place, like I'm, like I'm going back to the same area I was 11 years ago? 
It's like, it doesn't make sense. Why do you want me to put me back here to a place I've been here before? There's nothing more I need to learn. I realized that, you know, I felt like there's nothing more for me to learn. And I think, why are you putting back? And even people told me, said that they've never seen that happen. A pastor being put back. And actually, we're, pastors today are allowed to, in our conference, to choose where you want to go. But the economy right now is dictating to us where they're putting us. It's different. And so why would God put me in this place where I've been here already? Why would he do such a thing? Why would I cover the same old ground again? But then I realized God wanted to teach me something. And since I've been there, I realized there were, when I left, there were, about th- mm, there were a few families there that had some things against me because of decisions I had made that I needed to make. And let me tell you something about reconciliation. Sometimes it's good to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness of people who have something against you, even though you believe you haven't done something wrong. Amen? For the sake of reconciliation. So here I am, I'm going to this place. I apologize to three different families. And there's this one family, this one lady, that really had something against me. And so I remember she's on a board, and I, about, this, this is recent now. This is only like two months ago. So I had a church board meeting, and then we're walking to a board meeting. I see her. I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit. Go talk to her. So I went in the room and said, can I talk to you? She goes, yes. I said, I would like to ask for forgiveness for what happened in the past. She looked at me, and she was truly touched. And I said to her, look, when there's things between church members, God kind of blessed the church. God kind of blessed. So we can't let what's happening between us affect the rest of the body and let them suffer for what we do. I remember she said, I accepted, and she hugged me, and we were hugging, and we reconciled. I remember the, the next week, and I went up to two other families. You know, right now there's no tension between families. Yet, again, right? <laughs> of course, I have to make hard decisions following the word of God. But to reconcile this situation. And then the week later, one week later, the next time I came to church, she came up to me and she said to me, that when she came to me, she said, you know, Pastor, I realized this as I thought about this this past week. What I, she said, what you did 10 years ago, I realized as I talked to you that it was not intentional, she said to me. And that she was glad we reconciled her. And then I told her, said, you know what? I realized something. I realized the reason why God brought me back to this church, even though I've gone, I was here 11 years ago, I left, and now God brought me back. And I told her the reason why the Lord has called me back to the church was because there was lessons that he wanted me to learn that I had failed to learn the first time. And those lessons was the lesson of reconciliation. When I said that, Tears, not to someone who hated me, tears welled up in her eyes. And she said to me, it takes a real man to say that. And I praise God she saw a real man. For know that there is not a good man within me, for there is no good man but the man Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, it's a few weeks ago. I guess I'm on this, I'm on this, I'm on this reconciliation um, this this roller coaster, or whatever, right? So here I'm in. I'm at a convocation. This three weeks ago, and um, 
I saw some families there from the past that I need to reconcile with. I'm just, because I've been to all the churches on this island, I just, knew a lot, I just know a lot of people in all the churches, and of course there's people that I have, I have um, come to in conflict with. And so here, I mean, some people are not from this church, or any of the churches I know that are pastor, but there's people I saw, and so I felt like I needed to reconcile. And so God led in a way that, this, this is what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, God led in a way to reconcile with three different families this past um, convocation. Going up to say, you know what? I want to apologize for what happened in the past. And I praise God, God reconciled every single one. God has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. And he wants us, beloved, the business of reconciliation should be our work, beloved. Amen? Turn to 1 John 4, verse 20 in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 in your Bibles. Notice the Bible says, Let's start with 19. It says, We love him because he first loved us. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In other words, if somebody says, I love God, I love God, I love God, but they go home and they're holding grudges against their own son or their daughter, or the brother, or the sister, or the mom, or the dad, or the cousin, or the church members, or the co-workers, or the neighbors, then the Bible says, the Bible's calling us liars, beloved. Amen? So we cannot say that we are Christians if we're not really, truly loving one another. And beloved, you cannot love one another unless you first experience the love of God that's within your heart and my heart, right? Amen? In other words, many of us try to love this way, but we fail, 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 because first of all, we must go back one step first before and experience the love God has for us, the reconciliation He wants and has for us first that changes our heart and hearts, that humbles us, that fills us with love, that fills us with the love needed to be able to love everyone else, beloved. Amen? And that's what God wants us to experience within our life. In other words, if we hate our brothers and sisters, then in reality, we don't really love God. Amen? I want to share this story with you. I share with you in my last presentation. Remember, there were administrators in the conference that didn't like me. They tried to get me fired, and God worked it out. They want to get rid of me. And I share with you over and over again that the Lord had protected me time and time and time again. Well, one, of all of the administrators that didn't like me, remember the conference president gave me a hard time, but he's gone on. But of all the administrators that didn't like me, there was one administrator that was there that didn't like me. He was the one who didn't like me the most of any one of those. He had threatened me with termination. Every time I would see this administrator, I would cringe because I knew that he would say something to me that would affect me. You know, this time that I was, I remember that I would go to the dentist and said I was grinding my teeth, I was um, cracking my teeth. You ever been there for? Say from stress. <laughs> and I think what that Bible text says, in the last days when it's the wicked shall see Jesus, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> that was my experience. That was what I was going through. It was worse than how the, the president had treated me. Now, I share with you how everyone, God had moved everyone. God, when I accepted my lot in life, God had moved everyone out and moved all new administrators and new pastors, and everyone was treating me good. And it, was a, it was a good experience, except this one 
administrator. And I looked at him as the thorn in my flesh that, okay, when I finally came to it, I said, okay, Lord, you left this one person here, he's for me. And when I finally said, Lord, this is for my own good, this is the thorn in my flesh, that I'm going to stop asking you to take it away. And I accept the situation and I became content with it. When I finally did that, then things began to change. He didn't take, God didn't take this person away. This was my worst antagonist that I ever had working here as a pastor. The new president came. Of course, you heard the testimony last time. And he started, he put me back on an ordination track, had an ordination review committee, and they had an ordination final examination. They examined me as I sat with them. And the Lord already blessed in that meeting. They finally voted to have me ordained. But after this meeting, this administrator who really didn't like me and we didn't get along, he came up to me after that meeting and he said to me, you know, Keala, I want to apologize to you for how at one time I perceived you to be. You're not how I thought you was and I knew you also, you've grown a lot. I'll never forget, I went back, I was on Oahu, and I flew back here to this island. I couldn't believe that God had actually done this amazing thing. I was totally overwhelmed, like, wow, God would actually do something like this, that he would actually apologize to me for all those years of what I've gone through. That was about three years ago. Now, since then, every single time that this, the president and this administrator comes out and visit us, visits me in the field, every single time he comes out, I would sense that there was a change in him. I also noticed that whenever we would talk, he would share, God would use this administrator that I didn't like to be used to share inspiring thoughts to me and to all of us. In fact, the ministry I started, Loud and Clear Call, came from one of his comments when he said, you know what our church needs in the last days? He said, he said, we need someone who will give a clarion call. The word clarion means loud and clear. So the loud and clear call is where my ministry came from. My, I got the min, name of my ministry from the person who I didn't like the worst. Who I didn't like the, I, I hated the most, right? Isn't that God, how God works? God changed my heart around. He transformed my life. It was over a year ago that this administrator and the president came to visit me in the field one more time. During this meeting, we started talking about ulu trees. Now, how many know about ulu trees and breadfruit? These ulu trees have no seeds. It can only come from baby shoots. So it's hard to find ulu trees. I don't know if you know. And there's so much different varieties. There's one you can pick up the tree and you can eat. It's very sweet. There's a lot of different things that you can do from um, different ways you can eat the ulu. You can bake it. You can fry it. There's a lot of, so it's very wanted um, in, in, in Hawaii and around the world also, actually. And so they came and were talking about this. And then he said to me, he said, you know, Keala, if you ever find a ulu tree, I will buy it for you. That's what his administrator told me. I kind of thought about it, and I just kind of forgot about it. We ended the meeting. Well, two days later, I got a phone call. And I picked up the phone and said, hi, this is Keala Thompson. I said, yes, well, this is Paradise Plants, and I want to let you know that your ulu tree is waiting for you. <laughs> so here I had this ulu tree, and then, then he said like this. And she, she said, and it's waiting for you. And I said, well... Um, how do you get this? He said, well, you put your name on two years ago. I put my name down on a list, a waiting list for ulu tree. And she gave this, and she finally called me about the ulu tree was ready. So she said, it's ready for you. I said, well, how much is it? She said, it's $40. I 
Then I said, I thought about it. And I said, you know, I, I just can't afford it. I'm sorry. He said, you sure this is the last Ulu tree we got? I said, I'm sorry. So I hung up. It was about an hour later, I, re- I remembered that the administrator said, if I find an Ulu tree, he would pay for it. So I emailed him and said, were you joking? You know, I mean, is it okay you want to buy it? He said, yeah, sure. I said, well, it's $40. Are you still sure? And he goes, yeah, I'm sure. So I called her back and said, is it still there, the Ulu tree? And the lady said, yes, it's still here. So I bought the Ulu tree. And I had it ready. And the next night was a convocation a year ago. And the president came and said to me, here's an envelope from this person. And it said, this is my first mission here on this island to give you this envelope. And I opened it. It was a $40. He contacted me the next week, this administrator. And he said to me, hey, Keala, you planted the ulu tree yet? And I said, no. He said, you know what, Keala? I want to plant that ulu tree with you. So really? Now he lives on a different island. He lives on Honolulu, Oahu. And said, I'm coming next week to Hilo to fly into Hilo. And when I'm in Hilo, rather than flying out of Hilo, I'm going to drive all the way to Kona, which is over two hours away. And, which is, and I live an hour away from Hilo. And as I pass through, I'm going to make a special trip so I can pass through, um, through old Kala where you live. And then I'll drive up to your place, and we're going to plant that tree together. And I thought about it, God, why would, you, why would you do such a thing to someone who is my worst enemy that you wouldn't take him away, but you would reconcile us together? I remember him coming up, and I, I was going to dig in and make it easy for him, dig the hole already so I can just symbolically put it in. But I thought, no, I'm going to make him work. <laughs> so I just kind of put it on the edges where. So he came up to where we were at. And then we, um, so we dug it together. And we followed the, the you know, Ellen White has a method how to plant fruit trees, in which I followed. We followed that method. It puts it give fruit way faster than the normal way. So we planted that method. And we planted a tree inside there. And we took pictures and everything. And today, that ulu tree is growing healthy and strong. And I remember I was planning together, and I said to him, you know what ulu means? It means growth in Hawaiian. Symbolic of growth. And every time we look at it, I think of this ulu tree, and we think of this ulu tree that we planted together, it's a symbolic of the friendship that we have and the growth of our friendship. Every time I see that tree, I saw it this morning, you mind that even though we may help in the process of growing a tree as we planted it, it is really God who has the power to grow our friendships and to reconcile one to another. Amen? Amen. I want to share with you a quote. It's from Desire of Ages, page 505. It's a powerful quote. Listen to this. It says, For the Spirit we manifest toward our brethren, the spirit we manifest toward our brethren declares what is our spirit toward God. Amen? In other words, whatever spirit we have toward one another, within the church or outside the church, what it really does, it declares what is really our spirit toward God. 
If we hate our brother, if we can't get along with our family members, it reveals truly beloved. If we don't love one another out there or even in the church, if we cannot love one, one another, it really reveals that we really don't love God. And if we hate our brothers and sisters in which we cannot forgive, we're reality revealing our hate we have toward God himself. And doesn't matter how much we profess to love God, if we're not able to forgive, to love, and to get along with one another, then it reveals that we do not really love our God. And we can profess all we want. We can say all we want. We love God. I love God. And say even prayers with our little children and say, I love God. Do you, and we love Jesus. We can say it all we want, but if we are not really living it in our lives, that really shows that we do not really love our God. And this is a lesson that God has been teaching me and continues to teach me over and over again. And this is a lesson that he wants to teach you also over and over and over again. God has called all of us to the ministry of reconciliation. And my question to you this morning is, are you fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation that God has called you to? If you're not, then is it time that you start it? Isn't it time that we begin to pray for re reconciliation, talk reconciliation, act upon reconciliation, so that God's Holy Spirit may be poured out upon his remnant people? And the only way we can get reconciliation to a dying world is that we first ourselves must experience the reconciling power of God's love within your heart and my heart this morning. That's what you need this morning. You need God's love. You don't need to say in your mind, okay, I know I've, I, have, I have relationships that are bad. My brother doesn't like me, doesn't get along, my sister, my children, my parents. We don't need to say, okay, I need to go out and do it. No, what God needs to do is God needs to teach you to say, look, you need to experience love in your life first. You mean transform, and when you're transformed, then you can go out. I want to experience this reconciling power of God's love more every single day. How about you? If this is your desire, then when you make a commitment to God by raising your hand with me this morning. Amen. I want his love. This morning, we're going to close our, song, our worship this morning with 567. Have thine own way, Lord. 567 in your hymnals. Have thine own way, Lord.